Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me. I'm in Luke chapter 8, our text today, verses 40 through 54. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. Now you know that in this chapter, Jesus got in a boat, and we believed he was exhausted from his public ministry. We find him asleep as the storm tossed uh, the little boat, and the disciples believed they were about to die. And so they awoke Jesus from his nap with pleas for help, which he, of course, obliged by commanding the wind and waves to be still. And those wind and waves obeyed the Lord. Perhaps the wind blew them towards the region called Gadara, where upon reaching shore they were confronted by a wild man. Man, the scripture says, was filled with many demons. As we saw last week, the Lord is not just sovereign over this material world, what we can see here, taste, touch, and smell. He is sovereign also over the spiritual realm. He is indeed more powerful than demons. And he proved that by casting out these demons into a herd of pigs who promptly ran down the slope into the lake and were drowned. And the townspeople who saw it were so fearful of Christ's holiness and power that they promptly invited him to leave. And he did crossing back over the Sea of Galilee and arriving in familiar territory. That's where we pick up the action today in verse 40, Luke 8, 40. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus. He was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him. And declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. When he had gone to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. And he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately. And he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed. But he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. The title of today's message is Never Too Busy to Save. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was in constant demand. And once it became widely known that there was a healer in Galilee, it seems that he rarely had a quiet moment. 
So the scriptures indicate that he would arise early in the morning and go away by himself to a solitary place and pray. One of the great mysteries of scripture is that Christ is at once God and man. That is, he's altogether God and yet altogether man. That seems impossible to us, but the Bible teaches it. And that difficult truth has led to a variety of heresies in the church through the ages. Everything from Docetism to Arianism to Apollinarianism. All variations of the same untruth, and that is to say that Jesus was not really man. Some heresies say he's not really God. Some heretics say he's not really man. The truth is that he's both God and man. We call him the God-man. And in his humanity, Jesus experienced everything we experience. Hunger, exhaustion, thirst, grief, frustration, anger. But what we find in Jesus throughout the scriptures is a constant willingness to save. John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And so as we look at our text today, let's examine the setting in which Jesus ministered. There was certainly no lack of people in need of help in Galilee. Remember we said it was sort of like a moving snowball. Jesus would start in one village, for example, Capernaum, where he would perform miracles. And by the time he got to the next village, the news had gone ahead of him that he could heal. And he picked up more followers in that village and he kept doing that until there were literally thousands of people pressing in on Jesus every time he took a step. Now, we humans are needy creatures. And so first thing we see here is constantly present needs. Look at verse 40. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. They were waiting for him to, to start healing them again. And I get the image here of hundreds of people perhaps waiting at least knee deep out into the Sea of Galilee with their hands shielding their eyes from the sun, hoping to catch a little glimpse of the boat on the horizon. And someone yelled out, here he comes. And everyone ran down to the beach and welcomed Jesus back to Galilee. They were waiting on him. He was not allowed to ease back into ministry. These needs were ever before him. And, and so the question is why? Why were these such needy people? Well, I suspect they were no more needy than the people in Keller, Texas. Because as humans, these needs that we have are really the results of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. See, God had created this perfect environment for Adam and Eve to live with one prohibition, not to eat of the tree that he said they couldn't eat from, they did. And of course, because of that, sin entered the world and sin's consequences and sin's curse with it. And spiritual needs and physical needs came fast behind that sin. You see, these needs are universal in scope. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, that we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. So wherever there are humans, there are needs. And from time to time, a young person will come to me and say, I, I'm praying about where God wants me to serve. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I'll gladly pray with anyone who is trying to discern that because certainly from time to time, the Lord calls us to specific geographical areas or to certain groups of people. But the truth is, if you want to serve the Lord, needs are all around you, right where you live. So begin at home. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus told the demoniac we read about last week, right? He said, I want to go with you, Jesus. He said, no, go to those who know you, who grew up with you, and tell them what God has done for you. And so the needs are everywhere. Now, secondly, we see that uh, these were crushingly large crowds. Look at verse 45. Remember that uh, the people were just everywhere 
And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. So this was just a typical day. Everywhere Jesus went, remember there's a couple examples of, of just how crowded it got. Earlier here in the book of Luke, remember the man who was, was born by four? That is, uh, four of his friends carried him on a stretcher. They couldn't get near Jesus in this house he was teaching in, and so they climbed up on the roof and let him down at the feet of Jesus. And, and so even another episode a little later on where Jesus' own mother could not get near him and had to send a message to the front and say, hey, your mom's here, come out and, and see him. So this was the everyday life for Jesus, and no wonder he was so exhausted. But I think there's a great biblical principle in that, and that is this. The Lord we serve, Jesus Christ, is a personal Savior and not an impersonal deity. I often say He's not a distant deity. What I mean by that is some people who are theists, and that doesn't mean you're a Christian. A theist is just someone who believes in God as opposed to an atheist who does not believe in God. And a, a, a theist um, will have the notion that even if there is a God, He doesn't care about us. That He sort of winds the world up like a children's toy and walks away and really doesn't care how it all turns out. That's not the God that's presented in the Bible. The God in the Bible is a personal Savior, not a distant deity. Now, that is very different than the gods, little g, of the pagan world. The Roman gods, the Egyptian gods, the Greek gods were indifferent at best to humanity. And sometimes they were worse than that. That is, they hated humanity. But the God that's presented in the Bible, the God that we serve, is a loving God, He's a merciful God, and He knows all about His creation. He is omniscient, means He is, he is aware of everything, including the fact that this woman had touched Him. Now, Jesus often would ask questions in the New Testament, but I've told you and I'll tell you again today, Jesus never asked a question for information's sake. That is, He did not ask questions out of ignorance. Because if he did, that means he was no longer God. And there was never a moment when he ceased to be God. Remember, he's the God-man. And so when he said, who touched me, he was about to teach an important truth to his disciples. Now, Peter was kind of misunderstanding what, what he was saying. Speaking for the twelve, Peter said, what do you mean, who touched you? There's thousands of people touching you. They're crushing you from all sides. And Jesus says, no, I felt power go out of me. Now, something important to remember here about Jesus. When we say that power went out of Jesus, that does not mean that He lost any of His deity. Now, in our humanity, we have to have energy to function. So we eat food, and once we've burned the calories from those food, we have to replace them. But when Jesus said power went out with Him, that was a different thing. That just meant that He directed His divine power towards a specific individual. He, he does not become less God every time He performs a miracle. But these were indeed crushingly large crowds. But even in the crowd, Jesus knows us personally. That's a great comfort to me. I remember uh, 18 years ago when I moved to Dallas-Fort Worth from very rural Mississippi. I mean very rural. And uh, I remember I bought a new car, and I came out here, and the first thing I was confronted with was Interstate 635 about rush hour. And I instantly had an overwhelming 
feeling that I was an ant in an anthill and that I had no significance, that, that I was just one of the millions of ants. And, and that really sort of overwhelmed me until I remembered that the God we serve knows me. In fact, the scripture says he, he knows our needs before we even ask him. He knows the number of heads on a number of hairs on our head. And I was reminded and I am this morning of John chapter 10 when Jesus describes his relationship with his own. It's one of shepherd and sheep. Jesus said of himself is that he's the good shepherd. And if you know anything about good shepherds, one of the things they're known for is that they know every sheep by name. They're not just an amorphous blob of wool. Each sheep is individually known because the scripture says all we like sheep have gone astray. And the Bible also says that he would leave the 99 and go after the one because he would take note that he was missing. He knows the sheep. He cares for the sheep. And ultimately, Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep, which is what he did on the cross. And so even in crushingly large crowds, the Lord knows each of us by name. Now, let's look at two of these individuals that he knew by name. Now, isn't it interesting how Jesus healed? Remember, there's tens of thousands of people perhaps following him. Could he have just said, everyone in the crowd be healed, and they would have been healed? Sure, he could do that. He, he spoke the universe into existence, but he doesn't do that. He dealt with these people individually, one by one. And we are introduced to two of those individuals that he heals here in the last portion of Luke chapter 8. One is a chronically sick woman. And the second is a critically ill child. Now, on one hand, there's some things that are like with these two. And, and really, though, it's a study in contrast, a study in differences. So what, what is alike about these two? Well, one is they're both sick. And the other is they're both female. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot in, in common. I think it is significant that they were both female in that we've said throughout this study of Luke that no one ever did more to elevate the status of women than the Lord Jesus. And here's just another example of that, so I won't belabor that point. So let's just look at the first one, this chronically sick woman. Look at verse 43. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his coat and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. I've often said that one of the things that I was least prepared for in ministry, and there were many things, but the thing I was least prepared for in ministry was the reality of the uneven distribution of suffering. Now, I was aware in my 21-year-old mind, as much as I could be, that everyone suffered some. I had lived long enough to know that into every life a little rain falls, but I was not prepared for the truth that became very obvious early in my ministry that not everyone suffers in the same degree and over the same period of time. Now here we have a woman who was chronically sick. That is sick, I take it, every day for 12 years. Everyone has hard times, heartaches, and health problems eventually. It seems though that some have more than others. Here was a woman in that category. The Bible simply describes her as having a hemorrhage. Now remember Luke was a medical doctor and he could have gone into great detail, but he did not do that. And so we're left to infer that this was a gynecological problem and all the commentators in agreement on that. And so this particular physical ailment would have been, first of all, painful. They did not have the, the painkillers that, that we have today. Even simple aspirin was unavailable. It would have been embarrassing to her. 
It would have made her a public outcast if she were Jewish. Likely she lived a life full of constant shame. And the very last thing she wanted was for someone to point out her condition or draw attention to it. And yet she had heard about one who could save, one who could heal. Maybe she had been there when Jesus healed other people. And when he showed back up there in in Galilee, she did whatever was necessary to get close enough to him to touch him. Because, though she didn't want to be singled out, she had enough faith to believe that if she could get close enough to touch the hem of his garment, she would be healed. Now, traveling rabbis in those days wore two basic pieces of clothing, an inner robe, garment, cloak, and then an outer cloak. And that outer cloak would often be decorated with blue tassels around the hem. And perhaps she noticed that hem from a distance. And she said, if I could get over there and touch that tassel, I would be healed. And so she did what she had to. And can you imagine this woman probably weakened from her illness? Probably didn't weigh very much compared to some of the men in the crowd. But she makes her way and she gets close enough and she touches the hem of his garment. And so then we began to see the sensitivity of the Savior. Even though thousands of people are crushing Him on every side, He said, who touched me? Power has gone out from me. Now again, He didn't ask that question for information, but to teach. He created this woman. He knew who had touched Him, but He had a greater gift to give her than physical healing. Look at verse 47. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, remember that's what she was trying to do is to escape notice. When she realized that had failed, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Now she really wasn't supposed to be in a public place, according to tradition, in her state, but she did. And she confessed that and she told everyone what her problem was and And that she had been healed. And what do you think his response was? How dare you touch me without permission? No. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You know, the original language actually says, he said to her, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so I said he had a greater gift to give her than physical healing. Now don't diminish that. The Lord cares about our bodies. And it's good and right to pray for healing when we're hurting. But he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her greater need was of spiritual salvation. And I take it, Jesus says that has been granted to you. And she could go in peace, not just peace of mind and peace of body, but she now was at peace with her creator through Jesus Christ. And he uses a term of endearment here. She was trembling. She was afraid She didn't know what he was going to say. And so he calmed her nerves immediately by calling her daughter. This is a term that no one who was angry would have ever used. It was a a precious and and a sweet term. And so she knew instantly that he had accepted her. He wasn't calling her out publicly to embarrass her, but rather to give her this great gift of salvation. So that's the the chronically sick woman. And had the story ended there, it would have been a beautiful one, but, but there's more to it. See, this story is sort of told with brackets. We're introduced to Jairus, the father of the little girl who's been sick. And then as Jesus was going to heal the little girl, that's when he encounters this woman who'd been sick for 12 years. And now he turns his attention back to the child. 
And I said this is a study in contrast. Look at verse 49. While he was still speaking, that is still speaking to the woman he had healed, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Now here are two similar miracles, but the subjects of the miracles are very different. The woman was an adult. She had been sick for 12 years and she was an outcast of society. This little girl was only 12, just beginning to start her adult life in that culture. And she was the daughter of a well-known man. His name is mentioned here, Jairus, who is said to be an official in the synagogue. Now the synagogue was the Jewish local place of worship. And the rulers or the leaders in the synagogues had the responsibility of taking care of the physical structure, but also they would plan the order of service. They would invite speakers and probably the most similar thing that we could have in our churches, they would be, he was the senior pastor and everyone knew it. And so the fact that he came to Jesus um, shows that he was willing to humble himself. One of the contrasts we see in this episode is the contrast between Jairus and another man we find in the scriptures, the rich young ruler. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, it was out of pride. He ostensibly wanted to know about the kingdom, but what he really wanted to do was tell Jesus how wonderful he was. And Jesus uh, told him about the commandments. He said, oh, I've kept all the commandments. No problem there. What else could I do for you? And Jesus says, go and sell all you have to give to the poor. And the scripture says he went away sad because he had much. Jairus doesn't come to Jesus and say, what can I do for you? He comes to Jesus in humility and says, I need you to do something for me. Even though he had this exalted position in the culture, he humbled himself before the Lord. There's a great principle there. The scripture says that the Lord gives grace to the humble, but he resisteth the proud. We find that principle throughout scripture. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and and he will exalt you in, in due time. And it was the circumstance that served to humble this man because the scripture says he had a daughter who was sick. Not only is it a daughter, it, the scripture says it's his only daughter. Now there is a special bond between fathers and daughters. I have three of my own and I can testify to that. There's also a particular pain in seeing your child, particularly a daughter, suffer. And I can testify to that too. But this girl was not just ill. She didn't just have a, a symptom. Scripture makes it very clear that she was dying. Now that woman that Jesus healed had a chronic illness, but it apparently was not life-threatening. She had lived with it 12 years. And yet Jesus healed her. And here's a little girl that's dying, and he did not brush the woman aside so he could get to the more critical, critically ill child. Verse 49 says, not only was she sick, in fact, while Jesus was healing this woman, the girl passed away. And these wonderfully sensitive neighbors come out and say to her dad, quit bothering Jesus, your daughter's dead. It's too late. I think the thing I hate to hear from our congregation more than anything else, someone will call me on the phone or stick their head in the door and say, I hate to bother you. Because it makes me feel that I have done or said something to imply that your coming to see me is a burden to me. And I want to say publicly, if I have ever given anyone in this church the impression that when you come to me and ask me to pray for you that I'm too busy, please forgive me. 
Because we see very clearly in Scripture, Jesus was never too busy for people. He was never too busy to heal. Now, I can think of at least twice, one of them here and another, where people thought it was too late for Jesus to do anything about it. The other one I'm thinking about is Lazarus, his friend in Bethany. Remember, Jesus had gone with his disciples to another region to minister, and his good friends, Mary and Martha, were concerned that their brother Lazarus was gravely ill. And so they sent word to Jesus to come, calling him Master. Master, come. But Jesus delayed. He kept on doing what he was doing. When he finally gets to Bethany, Lazarus has, has died and been in the grave several days. And, and his sisters approach Jesus and say, Master, if you'd only come earlier. The implication is it's too late. And the scripture says Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. He certainly wept over the unbelief he saw, but he wept because they were brokenhearted. And he approaches the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And remember the people were whispering because uh, by now he stinketh, the scripture said. He'd been in the grave a few days and, and yet Lazarus came forth wrapped up and, and the Lord restored him to life. Well, he, he does that with the little girl. She'd only been dead a few minutes apparently, but she was certainly dead. And when Jesus said, she's not dead, she's only sleeping, everyone laughed. These apparently were people who knew biology. They knew a dead body when they saw it. And, but Jesus, of course, was using a beautiful term of, of, of endearment, um, a euphemism, if you will. Throughout the New Testament, when Christians die, it is presented not as final. And so, therefore, the death of Christians is al almost always presented as sleep. You remember when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, a scripture passage we almost always read at funerals here. And they were concerned that some of their best and brightest believers were dying and Jesus had not yet returned. And they had no instruction apparently about what happens to a person if they die before Jesus' second coming. And Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, I would not have you be uninformed, brethren, concerning those who are what? Asleep. That is dead. But before a believer, the beautiful truth is that to fall asleep in this world is to wake up in the presence of the Lord. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So this, this little girl is, is dead and, and Jesus doesn't want to cause a scene. Now, there's already thousands of people waiting for him outside and had it been known publicly that he was raising the dead, can you imagine? And so he sends everyone out except the little girl's parents, her father and mother, and his inner circle of disciples to bear witness to what he was about to do. And the scripture says he took her by the hand. Isn't that interesting? Not only is he a personal savior, he's a savior who's willing to touch. He touched lepers that no one was willing to touch. He touches a dead body that people weren't willing to touch. And he said to her, little girl, arise. And the scripture said immediately her spirit returned to her. Now don't rush over that. Remember what we said last week? That Jesus is more powerful than demons. We know that because he is sovereign over every realm of existence, including the spiritual universe. And he commanded her spirit to come back into her and her spirit obeyed. Remember when he was on the cross? Scripture says that no one took his life. He willingly gave it up. What's the last thing he said? It is finished. And he gave up his spirit he controls and is sovereign over the spiritual universe. And so this little girl 
indeed uh, arose. But there's one little other thing that you might skip over, but don't. It says that um, he gave orders, verse 55, for something to be given her to eat. Now, why would Luke include that? I think it's really the, the thesis of this entire section of Scripture is that Jesus is never too busy. We would think with all of those major problems, people dying in that part of the world, he would do triage and skip over all the incidental things and really deal with the, the hard problems. And sometimes that's how we kind of pray, that, that he's not concerned about the everyday things in life that concern us, so let's save our prayer life for the really big things. And he was concerned first for her life, and once her life had been given back to her, he was concerned for her body. And he said, give her something to eat. She's probably hungry. And we're going to see in, in just a couple of weeks, Jesus healing 5,000 people. He's concerned not only for one girl, he's concerned for 5,000 people that were not sick as far as we know. They just had traveled a long way and he said, they haven't had anything to eat. What do we have to feed them? What does that tell you about the nature and character of Christ? It tells you that he cares about all of us. And he cares about even what many people would say are superficial and unimportant things in life. In fact, we're out of time, but I want to give you three ways I have heard people misunderstand Jesus. And maybe there's someone here that this applies to. I've heard people say when I've shared the gospel with them, well, that's good for you, but I'm not important enough to save. I've heard men in prison that I've ministered to and shared the gospel with say things like this. I've wasted my opportunity. Take it to, to somewhere else. There were those in Jesus' society who would tell him, don't waste your time on a woman who's unclean. Or certainly don't waste your time on, on a child. But Jesus viewed them as made in his own image. And by the way, there's not a person on this planet that's too unimportant to hear the gospel. We are to take the gospel. Remember, great heaping handfuls of it and spread it wherever we go. And then secondly, I've heard people say, I'm too far gone to save. I have gone too far into sin. Well, here, here's a picture of a girl who is dead. We have another picture of Lazarus who'd been dead for a while. And they weren't too far gone to save. See, our God is more sovereign than your sin. He's more powerful than whatever you've done. And then thirdly, I've heard people say, God certainly has more important things to do than to worry about my, you fill in the blank, arthritis, unemployment, wayward child. I don't want to bother the master. Other people have it worse than I do. Well, that's on one hand true. There's always uh, going to be someone who we perceive to, to have worse problems than we do, but that's not the point. The point is... God is not a respecter of persons. Did you notice the chronology of this chapter? The first person we're, interested to, we're in, in, introduced to is Jairus, that he was a prominent man. But Jesus doesn't say, okay, prominent man, you go to the front of the line. In fact, he delayed healing the prominent man's daughter to deal with a woman that people say should be at the end of the line. And it's not our task, it's not even within our realm of of ability to determine who is deserving to hear the gospel. In fact, none of us are deserving, right? And so all of it is by grace. And so our job is just to take the gospel with us wherever we go, whether it's a homeless man in downtown Fort Worth 
or a CEO in South Lake, Texas, all of them are in desperate need of the Savior. And here is the wonderful truth. The thesis of this text. Jesus is never too busy to save. Now there will come a day when your life is over that your opportunity to repent and be saved is over. But for as long as you live, including today and especially today, Jesus is willing to forgive you, to cleanse you from unrighteousness, and give you a home in heaven. So if you're here today and you've thought any of those things were true about yourself, I'm here to tell you it's not. The Lord is merciful and kind and willing and ready to save. All that the Father gives unto Him, He will in no wise cast out, including you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And I thank You for these two women, one a little girl and one an adult woman, who uh, had terrible problems. One was sick for 12 years and one was dying at 12 years old. And you created both of them, you loved both of them, and you healed both of them. Lord, they are just two examples of thousands that you healed during your earthly ministry. But Lord, in these few verses that we've read today, we have been comforted as believers that you indeed are not a distant deity, but you are a personal Savior. And I'm thankful that we can call our Heavenly Father just that, Father. That we can call Him Abba. Daddy, not based on our own goodness or righteousness, but based on the imputed righteousness that is Jesus and He gives to us freely. And so, Lord, I would pray if there's one in this room today who does not know you in the free pardon of sin, that they too would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Father, I pray you'd help them to see that you love them and that Jesus died for them. And for all who will come unto Him, He will not cast out. Lord, I pray you'd draw some to yourself today. Lord, I pray for Christians who are disappointed who have been praying for a loved one or perhaps some physical ailment for a long time and they've given up hope. Perhaps well-meaning people have said, stop bothering the master. We're reminded that you're never too busy and it's never too late to save. Lord, I pray you'd hear those prayers today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.